0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19 is where we will begin our text for our sermon today. God's given us a great word. I I just beg him to just take over everything and for him to speak it and for him to to say it today. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book. I know there's quite a bit of controversy just over actually who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Some will die on the hill that Paul wrote it. It does say in older English translations that it is a letter of Paul. But that's not part of Scripture. That's part of a title that was added to it later. So you may have that and say, well, it's right there. Uh, Can't he read? Uh, But it's not quite that simple. You have to remember one of the things that when they were looking at documents... Uh, and letters in the early church and, and discerning by the leading of the Spirit as to whether these were inspired of God or not. Uh, they, they went through quite a time with that. It would be almost 400 years before they would finally settle uh, on, on the books that we have in the New Testament. About 397, Athanasius finally showed up at a church council meeting with the 27 New Testament books that we have, but one of the things that was a shoe-in for any letter, and that was if you could attach it to the Apostle Paul. And so we think that some in the early church tried to do that with the book of Hebrews, but there is almost nothing about this letter that matches anything that Paul ever wrote. The language is different, the style of Writing is different, and I'll quote my Old Testament, I mean, my Old uh, New, he was old, the New Testament is new, that my Old New Testament Greek scholar who said about the only thing we do know about the book of Hebrews is that Paul didn't write it. So I don't know. That's not important if we settle that, but what it has to say is incredible. Whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is writing pretty much to Jews who are struggling with this new idea, this 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 whole new concept. I, I don't uh, a, a word fails me to describe it, but to go from Judaism to Christianity, and and they're really struggling with it. And if you read the book, you'll notice he really is addressing, or she maybe, some have said, but. Uh, he or she is addressing three groups of Jews. Those who believe and trust and follow Christ. Those who believe but are still making sacrifices for their sin. They've got a foot in two different canoes and, 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 and they just are not able to let go of the legalism of Judaism. And then there's a third group that they had tasted the goodness of God, he says, but they really had not, uh, it had not led them to repentance and faith. So, three different groups. Now, if that was delaying and confusing enough, I want to read another passage that's not our text, but we got to read it or we won't understand our text. I want to read four verses from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, For this reason, what reason? Don't ever read that, something like that in Scripture and keep going. For what reason? Well, if you go back and read chapter 1, I know you're thinking, well, he's going to do that too. No, but if you read it, you'll see where the writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken to us all throughout different times and in different ways. And he spoke to us through the prophets and through all kinds of different mediums and things of that nature. God has brought his word to us But he says, in these last days, he has given us his word through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself has come and has lived among us. And that's what he's talking about. And he says so in chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift Away from it, I, I, it's it, this could be a great sermon. I mean, just within itself, we drift. We don't just—it's not like a torrent that takes us away from uh, where we once were with Christ. It's—it's it's just slowly, slowly drifting, and sometimes you—you you just don't even notice it. For in verse two, for if the words spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. And none of that's changed. Not one bit of it he's saying. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard See, Paul would never write that. He would say, through us who heard. Verse 4, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So great a salvation. So let's take a look at this great salvation. In verse 19 of chapter 10, he has gone on and developed all of those thoughts through the first nine chapters. And then he says, Therefore, it's a little three-letter word in the Greek, but it's what we call an inferential particle. Uh, I don't know if you've had an inferential particle lately, but they're helpful. It ties everything. We translate it as therefore. That's probably as good as we can do. But he has given us nine chapters. Of some of the most beautiful doctrine about how Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the sufficient sacrifice. There is no need for Judaism anymore. All of the law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His sacrifice and His atonement for our sin. All of that is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. He is supreme. He is our Savior. The writer has developed all of that and then says, therefore. Now he's going to get to the practical part. This is where you Google the how-to video right here. You've, You've heard these great truths, now what do we do with them? How does this thing fit into my life? What makes His salvation so great? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, That holy place was a place that you never went into unless you were the high priest and you only went in there once a year. People didn't go in there. Only the high priest. Verse 20, "...by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh." And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We've just been invited to do something that would have gotten us killed. We would have fallen dead on the floor of the temple instantly had we obeyed this verse before Christ. But he says, no, come on. You can draw near you can come through that veil that has been torn apart it no longer separates us from God verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another or how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds I'll pause there and then read our last verse 25 but here is the whole gist of this book. He says, as you see the final days approaching, draw near to God, hold fast to the confession of hope that we have, and consider one another. That's what we have to do. Last of all, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the third and final division of the book. And what an awesome story. We would have to understand a little about the tabernacle, and I I wish we had more time for that. It's almost like you want to keep going back when you preach passages like this, and and, and saying, okay, now make sure you understand this, or this won't make sense, but if you could just imagine the tabernacle, and, and, and how it uh, was, and then the temple later, which was the permanent structure of the tabernacle, but that's where men went to meet with God, that's where people met with God, and they met with God through the high priest who would go in once a year into one section of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies, and He would only go in there once a year, and he had to be washed, and he had to be cleansed, he had to have his own sins forgiven, and all of that, and he would go in. But no one else was ever allowed in there, and Hebrews is teaching us an awesome truth that you and I now have access to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are no longer uh, at a distance anymore. We we have been welcome to walk through that torn veil and to have a relationship with God like we had never been able to do before. So let me just ask you, what is so great about our salvation that God has given us? Well, two things. One, it gives us a new way to relate to God. And secondly, it gives us a new way to relate to each other. Let's look at the first one relating to God. Now, it's relationship that's important here. That's what God always wanted to have with us a relationship. When He put Adam and Eve in the garden, He didn't watch them from a distance. He went and he walked with them in the cool of the day. He fellowshiped with them because he wanted a relationship with them. That's why when they sinned, he couldn't just go, all right, I'm going to still come to the garden, but things will just never be the same. No, God knew I can't have a relationship with you. I'm a holy God. I'm a righteous God. And, and, and either something's got to happen to you or, or or I would have to change myself. And I'm immutable. I'm unchangeable. And, and so th- there is nothing that, that I, can, I can't relate with you anymore. Sin has divided you from me. And I love those times that we were together, but, but those times are over until something happens. And, of course, Jesus was the something that happened. But my point is God wants that kind of intimacy with us. You know, I have a lot of people in in the last four decades have come to me with different sins in their life that they really struggle with. Unfortunately, and I understand some of this, but unfortunately I've had very few come and say, you know, I really feel convicted that I don't have more intimacy with God. That I just don't know Him like I really want to. As a matter of fact, Paul said... In Philippians 3.8, he says, More than all of those other things, more than anything else, I count all those things but lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The more I know Him and the more intimate I am with Him, he says, the more blessed my life is. That's what I want. Because he said, I've got a lot of accomplishments. If you look at my pedigree, I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was not a proselyte of the tribe of Benjamin. So that was the best tribe to be from. He said, circumcised on the eighth day, all of that dead to the law. He said, I count it all, but, but nothing but rubbish. He says, uh, actually in another place he calls it scubilon, and I won't even translate what scubilon is for you. It's dung, but he's getting really, really uh, uh, direct about it. He said, I I count it as, as a pile of dung, all of that. All the pedigrees on the wall behind the desk, tear them down, I don't care about them. He says, nothing compares to me being able to have an intimate relationship. With God. That's what we need to desire. Oh guys, you know the heartbreak when she looks at you after a couple of dates and says, I I just want to be friends. Oh. Mm. And you try to get that face. It's all contorted. You try to pull it together, don't you? She's ripped your heart out. She's taken everything you've ever lived for away from you. And just the fact that you're 13 and she's 12 and you really don't even go out yet, you had big plans, did you not? And now she just wants to be friends. Let's just, let's just date her. Let's don't get real serious. And I say that because I think sometimes that's the way people are with God. Instead of being married with him. Being in that bond. And he talks about that. He uses that to teach us. That's a relationship. He says, you're not buying cars. You're kicking tires. You're just walking around the lot. You're not serious about this. I don't want to just be friends. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I don't want to just date. I want us to be in a, a permanent relationship together. That's what He is desiring, and He has offered us a way. Let's look at it. First, this new way of relating to God. It's one of confidence. He says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, we can go in the holy place, yeah, but only by one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can go in there. It's the only way you can go into the presence of God is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he says, It is a new and living way which He has inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. That veil was a curtain. You remember, it was only about as thick as a man's hand, and it was quite weighty, and it was very tall, very wide. It was, it was a huge thing, but it was made of cloth because it wasn't the structure of it it wasn't what it was built out of that, that gave it the strength that, to keep people out of the Holy of Holies. It was fear that kept people out of the Holy of Holies. That, that was what it had going on. It, it's, it, was, it was not that you couldn't tear your way through it. It wasn't that it could keep you out if you just decided, I'm going in anyway. Some tried it, and because of them, we had testimonies that, no, you just don't want to do that. But through that veil, now, we can have confidence. He says we we can have confidence that we can go in, not, not afraid, not shy, but we can have a relationship with God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ, and we can have that with confidence. Man, that's incredible. Because I want to tell you something, friend. God demands perfection. I know we like to say it. It's a great Facebook meme That, well, God doesn't demand perfection. You know, He knows we have our faults. God does demand perfection. What does it take to go to heaven? 100% righteous. That's what you have to be. You're not going to heaven unless you are 100% righteous. Did you get that? Yes, I said that, and I'm not going to come back in a minute and say, well, I was kidding. I was just making a point. No, that is the absolute truth. You have to be 100% righteous. God demands perfection. When He told those high priests in the Old Testament, you better confess your sins and all of them. Don't come to the door of my tabernacle with a, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Don't hand me that jazz about, well, you know, nobody's perfect. That's not going to work here. You have to be washed and you have to be cleansed and your sins have to be forgiven. If they're not, then when you walk through the veil, you have walked to your death. So how are we going to get there? I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I was lying. See, that's sin right there. You're not perfect not on your own but because of Jesus Christ and if you have trusted him how many of you sitting here this morning are 100% righteous raise your hand yeah some of you still I don't know about that now been going to hear him all this time and now all of a sudden yeah, is just not, I don't I don't know uh, How in the world in the middle of a sermon could acrobat reader interrupt me and tell me it wants to download something on my computer? Does it not know I'm preaching? The devil's in it. Come out, you unclean thing. 100% righteous. If you're still sitting here thinking, well, I would never say that I'm 100% righteous. Well... You won't go to heaven unless you are. Because you get your righteousness from God. It is a gift of grace. It's all through the New Testament. It's a gift of grace. God takes your righteousness because if He said to you, "All right, I'm going to give you a brand new start today, okay? I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to set your little feet right here on the solid ground. I'm going to lift you out of that miry pit. And you start right here and see if you can make it to that door before you sin. Half of us couldn't do it. He gives us His righteousness as a gift of grace. So now how righteous are you? If you want to be 100%, you have to trust in Him. You have to trust in him. You say, I'm not worthy of that. Boy, you are all over it today. You're getting closer every second. You're not worthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. All of us are condemned to hell. There's nothing good about any of us. So when I tell you I'm 100% righteous, please don't think I'm making it about me. Because on my best day of my righteousness, my righteousness, he says, is as filthy, nasty, ceremonially filthy rags. That's the best I can do. So I receive His righteousness as a gift of grace. He says, you can come confidently. I I know, I'm, I'm, I'm bold up here about it, am I not? He said, that's good, come on. You can come confidently when you come with my righteousness. It's one of confidence. Secondly, it's one of cleansing. In verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. From all, or from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Exodus 29, 4, and then in verse 21. Some verses, that's the passage where God gives the directions about Aaron and the priest and what they have to go through to, to be able to even go in there have to have a clean heart. He tells us, he says, well, you have to have one too. But the way our hearts just cleansed is by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how our hearts are cleansed. And he says, come with a sincere heart. Come with a sincere heart. Now, don't play around. Um, lethenos is the word for sincere or true heart. And cardia is heart. But off the Nathos is a word for, uh, it's, it's a true heart. Aletheia is a word for, uh, or Aletheia is a word for truth. Come with a true heart, a pure heart. God says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. It's our motive. This, it's what's going on in here. You can do a lot of things out here and not have the right motive for it. You could do it out of guilt, or you could do it out of spite, or you can do it to be seen. He says, don't come to me like that. Don't come to me to act all big and proud about your new hundred percent righteousness that you got. He says, "Come with a sincere heart, man." And do I ever need it? Do I ever need it? I, I tell you, Wednesday night, man. We, you, if you were here, we talked about our interior life and our discipline of devotion, and we talked about confessing sin. I can tell you, someone's put it this way, much smarter than I. When anything in my life exceeds my level of character, I'm in trouble. When I get more money than I know how to handle, I'm in trouble. When I get more freedom than I have integrity, I'm in trouble. Just little things, sometimes an opportunity to gossip overwhelms us. Just couldn't keep our mouths shut. Those are all little things in our life that demand the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Confidence, cleansing. It's also this relationship we have with God is one of consistency. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Some translations have, uh, and they're older, but they have faith. They're, the word is elpis, it's not faith. It's hope. Our confession of our hope without wavering, he says, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You see, that's the whole reason that when I get saved, I don't ever get unsaved. When you're born again, you're never unborn again. You're born the first time now. How could you undo that? You can't go back and be unborn, okay? So you can't go back and be unborn again either. And it's not because you're just doing so blooming good. It is because He is faithful. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all un righteousness. He is faithful. So how is it that I stay saved? Do I just hold really tightly to the hand of God with everything I got? No. Because I'm not holding on to God. I know it's a cliche, but here we go. I'm not holding on to Him. He's holding on to me, friend. He's holding on to me. I'm unfaithful. If it depended on my faithfulness, if we were part of the old covenant where God says, you do this and I'll do that, And that's how we'll have a relationship. That's legalism. That's Judaism. We were never, ever able to keep our side of the covenant. So God came, kept the covenant for us. You just can't beat that deal. Hold on to that hope. And boy, I love the word. Elpis is the word for hope. And we translate it hope. But hope is different than most people see it in our world today. When we say things like we hope we win the lottery or, or, or whatever, uh, that's, not how, that's not the New Testament concept of hope. The New Testament concept of hope is something that we know is going to happen and we're looking forward to it. It's an anticipation of certainty. Okay, did you get that? It is an anticipation of certainty. I know in Christ Jesus I am held. I am held. I love the songs that we sing around here because they, they have good theology in them. I am held in the storm. I am held. And uh, man, I'm anchored in the veil. I, I got all of that because I am unfaithful if it depended upon you and I. We couldn't keep our salvation more in a few minutes. This is a new way of relating to God. The Jews, boy, it's... It's messing with them. They don't know how to take it. But let me say this, because I don't know how many Jews we have here today. (laughs) I doubt many. Good old saved, born-again Protestant Gentiles have trouble with it too. We say dumb things sometimes like, well, I I tell you, if old so-and-so was not with the Lord... And I might as well give up now. Really? You know, when somebody dies that was really faithful to God or whatever, or at least we felt like they were, that is a dumb thing to say. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. If you slip up and say it in front of me, I won't put a little mark by your name, because I know we've said it for years, but that is a dumb thing to say. Because if if you are trying to live your way into heaven, you, you ought to give up now. That's the first step in salvation is giving up, is surrender, is quit trying on your own, quit bringing that religious flesh that you tried to whip into shape on your own. Do you know how ugly that is to God? Don't bring that to Him. Surrender, give up, and give yourself to Him. It's a new way to relate to God, secondly, and last of all, it's a new way to relate to one another. Don't let the last of all give you too much hope. We relate to each other in a new way. It is a way of enrichment, he tells us in verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. The old word in the English was spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, prosoukismos is a word, prosoukismos is a word that does mean to provoke. It has a word sharp or protruding from it, so to gouge or to spur one another on. Uh, It's like getting an animal, goading an animal to go in the direction that, that you want it to Go in. It almost it irritates. Uh, but he says, learn how to do that. Consider how. Spend some time thinking about how to stimulate one another to do what? To love and good deeds. That's it's, it's what we need to be provoking uh, each other with. And let me just tell you this there are 54 one another's in the New Testament. That's a lot of one anothering, friend. It's not something you can do on the couch watching Charles Stanley while the rest of us are having church either. I'm just being honest with you. These one another's, we, we, that's, that's a relationship. How are you going to encourage me? How are, are, are you going to, to help me? Uh, if, if, if you are somewhere else. And so these one another's, I mean, really, it's, we should be helping each other. My wife, I should be able to look at her and know that being married to me helps her live a richer life for Christ, really. Uh, man, a lot of guys know if you looked at your wife and you were honest, you'd have to say, man, she is what she is in spite of me. I'm not much of a help. I'm more of a weight. I'm more of a drag. I've never been out front. I, I'm like uh, that one famous politician who said, "I leave from behind." You don't leave from behind. You, you're, you, is, is your spouse uh, and your children, having been born into your household, does that make them boy uh, want Christ more than ever? Does that does that enhance what? What they, uh, their walk with Christ. Re- remember this and we'll move on, but we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. We can tell our kids and fellow church members whatever we want, but who we are is what we reproduce. We need to enrich each other, spur one another on to love. And good works. We should be an encouragement in that area. It's also, secondly, one of engagement, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some. Boy, this is hard to believe, is it not? I mean, you think about it. Back in the New Testament, have you read about some of the church services they had? You remember a guy named Eutychus? You remember old Eutychus? He he slept in church. Dangerous business. He was sitting in the window asleep, fell out and broke his neck and was dead, and Paul brought him back to life. Man alive, that's pretty awesome, is it not? I've seen people go to sleep in church and I couldn't even bring them back to life. And they still had a heartbeat. Fell out of the window. I man, people being healed, man, blind people seeing, dead people raised from the dead and all of that. And you mean with all of that going on, some people had already started drifting away from the assembling together as a church? Man, if people can start laying out with all of that going on, what makes you and I think that the praise band is ever going to hit just the right note or preacher Mike is ever going to just really bring in the sermon or whatever or we're going to love on them and, and, and make them feel welcome enough that one day they'll all want to come and, and be a part of God's family. Sometimes, I, I, and I understand, I'm not telling you this building is the church. The church is the people of God. And we understand that and we know that. And I hear people say this sometimes, and there is a measure of truth in it that, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you don't have to go home to be married either. But it sure helps, doesn't it? It sure helps. And if I really am married, then that's where I'll be. That's where I'll be. Man, I'm amazed that after all the years that Loretta and I have been married, how much we still enjoy spending time together. I'm just telling you, just hanging out, laughing at each other, cutting up. It's, it's just, it's awesome. It, we've been married almost 39 years And it's just, it's just incredible. I don't, I, I, I'm not looking for a reason to go, well, I, you know, I don't have to come home every night to be married to you. How stupid is that? And I also didn't go to a lawyer, by the way, and say, how much do I need to give Loretta every week of my money to legally be considered financing her? All of it. Yeah. I remember in Africa, they, I told you about the guy that had 13 wives, and I asked him, I said, man, how many wives can you have over here? And I said, you can have as many here as you can afford. I said, well, that's the same way it is back home. You can say stuff like that when your wife's 14,000 miles away. No, I didn't go to a lawyer and him tell me, well, if you give her $125.38, you will be considered legally supporting her. That sounds like a church member figuring out that tithe. And doggone it, when you get to that penny, what are you going to do with that? Cut it in half? Don't give it this week, give it next week, and you'll be dead on. How ridiculous is all of that? And then we say, God, I do it because I love you. Man, we need to come together. Yeah, you're right. In India and China and places like that, they don't have buildings like this. But they do have places they meet and they may walk 10 miles dodging bullets to get there. And they do it all the time. Enrichment, encouragement, engagement. Thirdly, encouragement. By encouraging one another... Or but encouraging one another in verse 25. The word encourage is parakaleo. It is our word we get the comforter from. It means called alongside. Called is passive for you English gurus. That means somebody else did it. I, it's not something I decide to do. God's called me alongside you to encourage you, to, to work with you, and to help you. And I, I can't do that from a from a distance. It, it, it needs to be, I, ha, I need to be able to come alongside you in just my presence. Even if, I'm, even if I'm speaking truth in your life that hurts, it should be an encouragement to you. I really think church, and, and boy, it's sad that it's not, but church ought to be that one place where we can be transparent to the point of vulnerability. Sometimes when we fail, you know it, we've, we've all seen this happen. It's sad, but sometimes when someone falls into the clutches of sin, the last place they want them to find out about it is church. They'll talk to guys at work about it before they'll mention it at church. Church has been, it's got a reputation. Unfortunately, a lot of churches have the reputation of just ripping you apart. Someone has said that Christianity is the only army in the world that shoots their own wounded. And that is pretty doggone sad, friend. You ought to be able to come here and stand up and say, whatever, I failed. You ought to be able to say that. You ought to be able to say, I failed and I want to make it right with God and I want to repent and us come to you and love you and restore you. And there's a process for that. And we've seen it not work a bunch, but we have seen it work too, have we not And man, that is awesome when it does. When we're able to restore a brother or sister, this ought to be the place where you can come and say, man, did I ever mess up. I ruined my life. I can't believe I could do such a thing. This ought to be a safe place for that. Traditionally though, church is where the teeth are sharp. Well, I thought there was something going on. My goodness. you the one that needs to get in here in this altar. Man. Enrichment, engagement, encouragement. Last of all, excitement. Verse 25 says, all the more. Do this even more as you see the day drawing near. Man. I see the day drawing near. People ask me sometimes, Preacher, do you think we're living in the last days? And of course you know that's my opportunity to do a little teaching. Technically, we've been in the last day since Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and said this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied about, that in the last days, this would happen we've been in the last days for two thousand years that might be a little long for you feels long to me it's not long to God but I do think I mean think about it when you read in the apocalypse the revelation they're riding horses look at the gas prices nowadays Just saying. Maybe you ought to write me a book on prophecy. I don't know when he's coming. I do know this. <laughs> this old world can't last much longer. We have now developed the technology to totally annihilate ourselves from this globe. Really. That's what we're dealing with right now. It's incredible. But instead of focusing on that, I want to close with this. One day he's coming. If you look in the Old Testament, there are over 1,800 references to his coming, his second coming. Seventeen books in the Old Testament speak of it rather prominently. In the New Testament, we have 260 chapters total. Out of the 260 chapters, there's 318 references to the second coming of Christ. One out of every 30 verses deals with the coming, the second coming of Christ. And yes, the Bible spoke often of His first coming. But it speaks eight to one about his second coming compared to his first coming. You know what that means. He's coming. I'm not a date setter. I just believe what Jesus said about that. He said it's not for you to know. should have never said that we have worried ourselves sick about it there's so many awesome truths in the word of god that we rarely read but boy you let somebody come on and say well you realize i know you count the letters in vladimir putin's name and give them their numerical equivalents in the aramaic and it turns out to be the word whatever and phew. That doesn't scare me. You do a little bit when you start that. (laughs) Jesus really left us with two words about his second coming. Be ready. And he said a lot of people are going to think they are and they're not. He didn't lose it. He said, I'm going to tell them I never knew you. It wasn't like you sabotaged it. No, I never did know you. Be ready. Church, we have an awesome salvation. How can you beat this? I, I wish we could spend more time, and we will. If God spares us, come and look. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'd love for us to go through some of this together. I'd love for us to do a study of the tabernacle with Jesus as the focus. That would be so cool because He is all over that tabernacle. It's describing different things about Him from His sacrifice to Him being the bread of life to the light of the world to washing away our sins. It's, It's all in it. And if we could understand that, boy, the book of Hebrews would just come to life for us. We have an awesome salvation. If you don't know Him as your Savior. I beg you. I beg you. Don't mess around with that. Stop stop dating God. Stop swinging by and getting Him when you have time. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to enter into intimacy with you in a way like maybe you've never imagined. And the good news is you used to could not, but now you can because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your salvation. God, we thank you that in the midst of all the hurt and the turmoil and uncertainty in our world today, that we know one thing, God, that one day, however and whenever, we're all going to be With you in glory. And we're going to be with you with our brothers and sisters together in glory. Those loved ones that we've lost that went on before us, God, that knew you, we will be with them in glory. Lord, we thank you for that blessed hope. Please help us, God, not to get too carried away with this world either by excitement from prosperity or from despair because of fear and turmoil. Lord, this old world is passing away. God, we just we know. We know, Lord, right now that this 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 place is going to be an uninhabitable, Lord, and 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 we know Lord the only the way for us to exist is you'd have to create a new earth and you tell us, well, you're going to do that. For those who put their faith and trust in you, you're going to create a new earth and a new heaven and all of this will pass away because you will make all things new. Be with our loved ones today, God. They're not ready for a sermon some of them, Lord, are so heartbroken. I just pray God that you would pierce that, that, that deep heaviness in their heart. And Lord, I pray that you would just touch them in a way that we can't. Walk with them, God. At least help them to know that they do not walk alone, Lord, that is horrible as it is. God, you are with them. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.